0: Following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at 1015 or check us out at DeeringChristian.org. Got a question for you. Is anybody this year, and I maybe we don't okay, is anybody going to a New Year's party? We got anybody going to a New Year's party? Let's call it let's, a New Year's gathering. Any more? Can it's going up because it's like, isn't trust me, you've seen what we do, it's not a party, all right? Okay, um, I, am be, I will be willing to bet that if that is where you're going, and it's funny, many of you will not remember this, many of you will, but do you remember New Year's Eve of 1999? I'm not talking about the Prince song, okay? All right, do you remember what was all going on with that, anybody? 1999? What? 2000? You remember what that was called? Y2K. You remember? Everybody was afraid double zeros. You know what's going to happen. Everything's going to crash. It's going to crash. It's going to be Terminator in real life. Alright? Some monster's going to come from the future. Now, I don't know if that necessarily is what you were thinking was going to happen. But, but Y2K, it kind of changed things. It didn't change anything in terms of computers, but it was like families... I mean, families who normally, the kids went and did this, and and they went to friends and did this. It was funny, because if you remember that year, it was different. Everybody just kind of stayed home. And then everybody's like, you know what? That was not that bad. (laughs) And it seemed like from that point on, now maybe this is just my experience, but more and more people began just taking it easy, on New Year's Eve, not going out to a big party, staying home, playing a few games, maybe having a friend or two or a couple families over who had to leave their home to do it, all right? It's funny how Y2K changed all of that, but there's still some who are going to go to New Year's Eve, New Year's Day parties, and what they're going to hear at some point at that is this. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. What does that mean? Is it like Merry Christmas? What does Merry Christmas mean? I mean, did anybody say that to anyone this year? Merry Christmas. You say it in the Walmart line? Okay, Merry Christmas. Grocery store line? Merry Christmas. Okay, did you say it to any customers? Merry Christmas. All right, Merry Christmas. Um, What did you mean by that? Were you literally telling them, I hope your Christmas is merry? Or were you just saying it because that's what everybody says when it's that time of year? What about Happy New Year? Are you just attaching that word to New Year because it's what you say, and I don't know anything better to say when the ball drops, all right? Happy New Year. Or is what you're saying, is this what you're saying? You're saying, I hope that your new year, this coming year, will be happy. I don't really know what Happy New Year refers to. I don't know if you say it just because it's what you say, or if I say it for that same reason, or if I am really wishing for the person I say that to to have a happy 2019. Here's the question. Do you really believe you could say that to anybody and it come true? That everything that happens to them in that year will be a reason for being happy. You think a complete Happy New Year is really possible? Philippians 4.13. We looked at this verse um, this past summer. We were working our way through. It's so funny. Six months ago, it seemed like yesterday. We were working through the Ordinary Saints series, talking about... What, what it means to, to, to be a saint. And by a saint, to look more and more like Jesus. All right? and, and we worked our way through those spiritual disciplines. Knowing those spiritual disciplines did not earn us any favor with God. But what it did was try to make us look more like Jesus. And as we worked our way through that, we hit this... Philippians 4.13. Now, Philippians 4.13 is the most misquoted, misused verse in the entire New Testament. You've heard me talk about this before, more than likely. Because people take that verse and attach it to everything. And what it is, is I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You can see that plastered on... Everything from coffee mugs to sweatbands, all right? And and I've I've heard people, I've heard athletes say it. I've heard people in business talk about why we can do this through Christ who will give us strength. I can win the Super Bowl because of Christ who will give me strength. When that verse means, doesn't mean that at all, it doesn't mean I can do anything. Through Christ who gives me strength. And what we have to do is we have to look at what Paul is talking about in Philippians 13 when he uses this incredibly powerful but misused verse. And if you look at the context of what we're talking about here, it's about contentment. And this summer, when we looked at this verse and we talked about contentment, it's actually just not Philippians 4:13, it's Philippians 4:10 through 13. We'll read that here in just a little bit. We looked at contentment in terms of finances. That's what we focused on this summer, how it is a great place in life to be content with what we have materially, with what we have in the bank, right? But, guys, we've got to understand something. I know you understand this. You've been at life long enough. Uh, Contentment is so much bigger than finances. Now, don't get me wrong. Finances are pretty big in this life, right? Number one leading cause of divorce in, in this world, finances, Right. and it is important but contentment in life is so much bigger than that first of all got a question for you is contentment a good thing nows when you answer yes or no yes uh, that was a that was a very very powerful from the gut yes <laughs> thanks Brad I mean, seriously, is contentment a good thing? Would you say it's a good thing? Is there anybody here brave enough to say, no, it is not a good thing? We got a few? All right. Let's, let's, let's follow that train of thought here for a little bit. Here we go. The boss is talking about you. And you are working in a situation where it's important to move up the ladder. And this is what the boss says about you as an employee. She's content. Stay right where she is. Is that a good thing? Okay, what about, what about this one? What about the athlete? Yeah, he's going into the NFL, got drafted, top of the class. Baker, Baker. And he is so content just to stay right where he's at because he knows he's never not going to get any better. He's as good as he's ever going to get. He's content. Is that what you want to hear about the person you just drafted, number one, and spent a huge signing bonus on? What about this? What, let's, let's spiritualize. What about our spiritual life? On content. Right where I need to be. I think this 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 level right here is good. I'd swear I want to stay. You know, it's interesting what Larry Osborne says about contentment. And if you like to write little quotes down in your Bible something, here's a good one, because this is a good one. Alright? And I gotta give him credit, because it's not mine. And he says this contentment. Says what everyone wants, but no one wants to be accused of. <laughs> What everyone wants, but no one wants to be accused of. Well, Paul wrote about contentment in the end of Philippians. And one thing we got to understand about Paul's letter to the Philippians, first of all, is where he was when he wrote this letter. He was in prison. He was in a Roman prison. Okay? Interestingly enough, he's writing about being content while in prison. Prison. He's riding to a church that almost never existed. At least from the viewpoint of him, Paul was a church planter. That's what he was. He was an evangelist. He went to towns. He won people to the Lord. And they started churches. That, that's what Paul did. And he did not want to go to Philippi. Read about it in Acts chapter 16 sometime. He was doing everything he could to go anywhere but there. It's like he wanted to go to Asia Minor, and the Lord's like, nope, not going to go there. He wanted to go over here, nope, not going to go there. And then Paul has a dream of a man in Macedonia in this dream begging him to come to them and preach the gospel. And Paul's like, okay, I get the point, Lord. And he goes to Philippi. And it's so interesting that this place that he almost did not go to becomes the most incredibly supportive church to his ministry. Paul was a tent maker. In other words, he was a full-time working person while he ministered. But Paul, it was his goal to go to places and devote himself 100% to the gospel, not to have to build and work on things because he wanted to devote himself 100% to the gospel. But in order for that to take place, there has to be people who support your ministry. And the Philippian church was the number one supporter Paul's ministry. Matter of fact, this entire letter, we got some thank you note writers here. It's almost becoming somewhat of a forgotten art a little bit, all right? My mom ingrained it in me that when I was a kid, it was like, if you don't write a thank you note, it's not yours anymore. It goes to me, <laughs> all right? I mean, you don't spend it. You don't play with it. You don't do anything with it until the thank you note is written, all right? Um, and that's still just ingrained in my mind. Now, The letter to the Philippian church could very much be subtitled Paul's thank you letter to this church. And he's just gushing over these people. They fill him with so much joy. And as we get to the end of it, remember Paul's in prison writing this. And this is what he says. Philippians chapter 4 beginning with verse 10. He says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you've revived your concern for me. Indeed you were concerned before but you lacked opportunity. And what that's getting at is this. Because of the circumstances, the Philippian church wanted to help Paul. They wanted to, but man, they had miles separating them. They had circumstances separating them, and they could not get the support that he needed to him. Paul's in Roman prison, guys. Roman prison is a little bit different than the prison situation in the United States of America. You're in Roman prison. If somebody is not providing for you in that prison, you starve. The state doesn't feed prisoners, okay? Okay? So Paul is dependent upon others while he's in prison because he cannot feed himself. He's in prison, right? But they finally, they, through, through a, a young man, they send support to Paul, Epaphroditus, and get support to him. This is what Paul, he continues on. He says, not that I speak from want, and listen to this, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how it means to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Guys, I want you to, if you're a writer in your Bible, now's your your time. Verse 11 and verse 12. In the New American Standard, which I'm reading for, it says, I have learned. I'm not sure exactly what your version will use. But it should be something similar in verse 11 and verse 12. He says, I have learned to be content. He says, I have learned the secret of being filled and the secret of being hungry. That I have learned is the Greek tense of that... um, without getting really, really technical and talking about stuff that's been a long time since I had Greek class, so I would just look like I understand it completely when I really don't, so I'm not going to lie to you. But I'll tell you this. The Greek tense in this phrase here of I have learned refers to a point in Paul's life, a point in time in his life. In other words, you know when the light bulb comes on? It's like, do we got any people here who learn things the hard way? Got a few. Um, It's funny because mostly it's men who have their hands up. And even young men, boys. (laughs) All right, that's really, really funny. All right. Not very many women raise their hands when I ask about learning things the hard way. I don't know if they're lying or if there's just something about that. All right? But if you learn something the hard way, what usually happens is at some point the light bulb finally comes on. All right? In my experience, for ladies, it comes on a lot earlier. I'm sorry, guys. I'm one of you. I just, I just, I'm sorry. It's just kind of the way it is. that's what Paul's talking about here it's like the light bulb came on and there was a moment in time when he's like I got it I finally got it I finally learned the secret of being content I can do it only by the strength of Jesus Christ so it's like did you really I mean you know so, if we're going to look at contentment here, guys, we need to look, first of all, maybe perhaps, at what contentment is not. Right? Because if you're anything like me, you put a lot of things in definitions that don't need to be there. Right? So, here's what contentment is not. Contentment is not Happy New Year. Contentment is not happiness. Contentment is not happiness. You and I can be Perfectly content in a situation that we despise or hate. You think Paul liked being in prison? Paul had people everywhere praying that he would be released from prison. He did not like being there and yet he wrote these words while he was in prison. I've learned the secret of being content. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Contentment is not happiness, all right? Contentment is not a lack of ambition or drive. There was nobody when it came to the gospel more driven than the Apostle Paul. Read about him in his letter to the Corinthians. Read about him in this very letter, talking about his desire. Paul, in 1 Corinthians, talking about the freedoms that we have as, an, as, as, a, as a man or a woman in Christ, we have an incredible amount of freedom. And he says, I will sell all that. That freedom is gone. I will make my slave, myself a slave to anybody if by doing that I can win that person to Jesus Christ. Paul said this in this letter, to live is Christ." To die is gain. There was nobody more driven than Paul, or ambitious for the sake of the gospel than Paul. Contentment is not a lack of ambition or drive, and contentment is not laziness. It's interesting as, as you read through the, the proverbs of, of King, King Solomon in the Old Testament. This collection of, of proverbs it comes right after Psalms, proverbs. And it's just wisdom things of life. It's, Proverbs is, is, is very practical, but sometimes it's kind of hard to read because it's like he's all over the place. Well, the reason for that is it's, it's a collection of Proverbs that he, he wrote throughout his life. It, it wasn't like a letter written to someone. That's why you're like, whoa, those two don't go together. Well, they just got put together, all right? They're not meant to go together. But as you read through Proverbs, you're going to see a lot about laziness. As a matter of fact, the terminology it uses is, is the sluggard. All right, the sluggard. And it never ends well for the sluggard in Proverbs. Just let me tell you that right now. Contentment is not laziness. So that is what contentment is not. Biblical, now we probably ought to look what contentment is. Biblical contentment is, first of all, dealing with what is, accepting, what cannot be changed. Dealing with what is. Accepting what cannot be changed. Do any of you have footnotes in your Bible? Like maybe to the side or down at the bottom. Or maybe you have a study Bible that even goes a little bit more in depth. All right, And you'll have a verse... And it'll have a little number one or number two beside it. And, and, and you follow that over to that verse. And then you look for the number one or the number two. And it will give you a literal statement. The, the literal, what it means in Greek for, for what you, the phrase you have there. Or perhaps it will say, this is another phrase that could be used instead of the one that we used as editors. Right? When I looked in my Bible, it's really interesting to me. When I look at verse 11, it's got a little two. Besides content. And I look over here to the next part and it's like, hmm, that, I don't know about that because it says self sufficient. I have learned to be self sufficient. That, I can see why they didn't use that phrase because boy, you take that one out of context, wah, because we are to be, that's the reason we're to be like children. It's not like God wants us. Throwing a fit on the ground if we don't get the toy that we want for Christmas. Now, that's not what he's talking about. Children trust. Children are dependent upon their parents. So what's this about this self-sufficient thing? Well, another way of saying this, and your Bible might even have something along these lines, is I have learned to be... I've got to make sure I get this right because I do not want to butcher this, all right? I have learned to be independent of my circumstances. you get that? What that means is this. The situations that I find myself in will not dictate who I am or how I respond. That's pretty interesting to me. That has everything to do with dealing with what is and accepting what cannot be changed. What it really means is this what is going i have to ask myself this question for 2019 what will rule me in 2019 my circumstances or my lord cuz i got to make a choice contentment is letting the lord rule me dealing with what is accepting what cannot be changed and man we could spend so much time on that Paul struggled with some of his circumstances. The author of this struggled with some of his circumstances. But he learned to be content. Number two, biblical contentment is learned, not acquired. Did anybody open a box of contentment for Christmas? Would that be an awesome gift? How much would you pay for that gift? All right? You open up the box, get a shiny little contentment card, all right? Slide that in the billfold, you're set. You'll be content no matter what happens, all right? Contentment doesn't work that way. It is is something that has to be learned. And if we go to God and say, help me, make me content, Lord, it's not like, be careful saying that. That's like going to the Lord saying, grow my faith. Oh, my goodness, you say that, you better hit the ground because... Man, I'll tell you what, faith grows in some pretty difficult circumstances sometimes. And God loves to answer prayers like that, but man, it's kind of dangerous. And saying, I want to be content. Understanding, just like Paul, that at some point the light bulb going on and saying, I think I got it. I think I got it. Biblical contentment, it is learned. It is not acquired. God doesn't gift Contentment. He grows it. Now turn over just for me it's only one page. Right after Philippians in your New Testament, you're gonna find Colossians. Okay, Paul also wrote this wrote this letter. Turn to Colossians chapter three verse seventeen. Colossians three seventeen. This is what Paul, the advice that he gives the command if you will that he gives. He says this, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. What does it mean to do everything in the name of Jesus? Does it does it does it simply mean to say to say that out loud? How many of you in your prayers something along these lines in Jesus name? I, I do the same thing. I do the same thing. That's not what this verse is talking about. It's not just like throwing that stamp on everything I do. What, what this is talking about, listen closely because this is very, very important. Doing everything in the name of Jesus is this, representing him in everything I do each day. Think about that for a moment and how that could change My day. How I react to situations. How I react to people. Knowing that I'm representing Christ. In that situation. Coming to the understanding of what we do in this world. And how we react to situations around us in this world. Is a representation of Jesus Christ. Because we wear the name Christian. That is the key to Contentment, a huge key. And guys, this is not something that is acquired. This is something that is learned over time. Why is contentment so hard to catch? I mean, there's some things in this life that are not easy to catch. It took me till I was almost 30 years old to catch my wife, all right? She was worth catching. But it took a little while. It, it, why is contentment, some things are just hard to catch. Why is it so hard? I can tell you exactly why it's so hard. And I don't even have to tell you, you already know in your mind. It's because of this. Desiring, trying to get contentment is at the same time battling human nature. For the majority of the people in this world, life is an unwinnable game of comparison. Did you know the comparison game? Unwinnable. Because the moment we start wanting to be in somebody else's situation and working, we think, to get there, we get there and then are we content when we get there? Are people content when they get there? No, they find someone else to compare themselves to. If I could just get to that level, I'll be content. I'll be good. It'll all be great. No, it won't be. But it's human nature to play the comparison game. That's why contentment is so incredibly hard to catch. Happy New Year. It rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? It does. I mean, I don't think I don't think anybody is going to watch the ball drop in New York City, and there's going to be somebody that the camera pans to in the crowd, and they're going to be yelling, "Contented, content. I don't even know what to say. A content New Year, contented, contentment year. All right. I mean, it just doesn't. It just doesn't. It just doesn't sound like." Happy New Year. But while it doesn't roll off the tongue, we have to understand something. Don't worry, be happy. It ain't possible. And there's something so much bigger and so much better than happiness. Contentment is possible. So let's summarize. All right. Today is one of those, if you you like bullet points, this is it today, all right? Funny thing about bullet points, they're so much easier to write down on a piece of paper than to apply to our lives. (laughs) In summary, when it comes to being content, it doesn't mean that we're not trying to change Because there's not a one of us in this room who still doesn't have some changing to do. Change what you can. Accept what you can't. Guys, there's situations that we're going to find ourselves in in life. We can't change them. There's circumstances we can't change. We're not God. Some of those circumstances can be pretty rotten. God can change him. He can. You know, three different times Paul went to God and said, change this for me, God. Paul went straight to Jesus. He's like, he met me on the road to Damascus. He changed my life. If there's anybody that can change this in my life, it's Jesus. So he went to Jesus, all right? Because Jesus walked in this world. He knows what it's like to suffer in this world. So Paul goes to Jesus and he says, there's there's a thorn in my flesh. Now, we don't know exactly what that was. Paul did not go into description about that. Three times. He went to Jesus and said, take it out. And three times, Jesus said, no. My grace is sufficient for you. Change what you can, accept what you can't. And then Larry Osborne, I love how he how he puts this. This is a quote directly from him. In summary. Treat every situation as a special assignment from God. Treat every situation as a special assignment from God. Guys, that's a tough one. And to be completely honest with you, I don't know if it's always accurate because I don't think sometimes the rotten stuff that happens in our life is from God. It's a product of living in a fallen, nasty world sometimes. And yet, if this thing is accurate, And the Holy Spirit is really living in our lives. God can take even those rotten circumstances. And bring about something incredible. Treat every situation as a special assignment from God. And remember above everything else. That we will only accomplish this. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things. I can be content in all situations through Christ who gives me strength.